Hey everybody, I just wanted to do a little message here about the uh, Dr. McCullough video interview that you're going to watch. And I wanted to let you know that there's medical information that is in this video. Dr. McCullough is one of the top medical professionals in our world in his field. Now, not only is he one of the most published doctors that's out there, he's probably the most well-informed or one of the most well-informed. What we wanted to say, though, is that the conversation that I'm having with him should not be taken as any kind of medical advice. You should check with your doctor and your medical professionals before you do anything regarding your health and make sure that you do that. The reason for this is to let you know that there's options out there that you may want to check with your doctor about. And on top of that, all of the, all of the information that Dr. McCullough is sharing in this video, he also supplied us with the links for you to fact check it on your own. So feel free to check it, research everything your own, and always make sure that you check with your healthcare provider before making decisions about your healthcare. Thank you. Hi, everyone. With all the craziness that's going on and the misinformation and the disinformation, I wanted to talk to somebody that a lot of people seem very interested in and have actual facts as to where we can go look for the information ourselves, so that we can be empowered to find the truth. I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. McCullough. I just think that people, you know, that's the reason why the, the number of citations in the National Library of Medicine really matters. And, you know, there's a thousand uh, peer-reviewed publications in the preprint server or in the National Library of Medicine, it's a thousand papers. So where do people go? They basically go to these sources or they trust people with um, academic credentials who can cite the data. So I cite the data. Uh, if they say the vaccines are safe and effective, well, they have to prove it. I mean, 21,000 people have died after the vaccines. What, what do they cite to say that they're safe and effective? So the burden of proof is really on others. So that's one of the reasons why fact-checking has been such a miserable experience for people. Because when they, when they attempt to fact-check, they just they end up empty-handed um, every time. And, uh, you know, Joe, Joe Rogan has, has, you know, trying to get together a roundtable of, you know, is anybody anywhere close to my qualifications, are they willing to sit down and have a discussion and make the case that the vaccines are safe and effective? No one will come to the table. Steve Kirsch, a millionaire, he's, he's, he puts $2 million on the table. Anybody who will come and wants to give an opinion that the vaccines are safe and effective, no one will come. Senator Johnson invited all the public health agency staffers to listen to the experts, including myself, I co-minded the opinion. No one will show. So listen, we'd love to have a discussion. So yeah. let's get into let's get into it. Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. the amazing Dr. Peter McCullough. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. I, yeah, it is. I've been so excited about having you, especially since watching what happened with uh, your interview with Joe Rogan. I mean, you guys just blew up the world with that, uh, with that podcast. And you did it in a way that's causing so many questions, but it's also causing a lot of confusion because you have all these people that want to come out and say that everything that you're saying is wrong. 
But people, number one, they don't know where to go to find out if it's right. And then there's this interesting thing that you and I were also just talking about. Is my understanding is that Joe's actually trying to get people to come on to debate you. And they can't find anybody that are will, is willing to come on. There's nobody that's actually willing to sit down in a room and talk about what you know versus what they're telling the world. And they're literally telling the world. And we're in this and and we're in this change where we've got countries that are just like all of a sudden out of nowhere they're going we're going to drop everything and other countries doubling down so where are we right now what is going on well let me give you some context i'm dr peter mccullough i'm a practicing internist and cardiologist i'm trained in epidemiology i'm in academic practice in dallas texas i spend half my time seeing and caring for patients and the other half of the time as an author as an editor, and as a clinical investigator. Uh, since COVID-19 hit, I've redirected all of my scholarship towards COVID-19. I have 54 peer-reviewed publications on the pandemic, including the two seminal papers in the peer-reviewed cited National Library of Medicine uh, database of uh, published manuscripts teaching doctors how to treat COVID-19. Uh, this has been installed in the in the most widely used home treatment guide by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. I have overall 660 plus publications in the peer-reviewed literature. That's tops of, of any academic physician in the United States. I'm the president of the Cardiovenal Society of America. In my field before COVID-19, I'm the most published person in my field in the world in history. And uh, my opinion's been relied upon throughout the pandemic. I published a whole series of op-eds the first year of the pandemic in The Hill. I was an invited contributor. The second year of the pandemic, um, uh, I have my own podcast, uh, America Out Loud Talk Radio, The McCullough Report. I'm a frequent contributor to Fox News, to Newsmax, OAN, multiple other uh, <coughs> news outlets, both uh, domestically and internationally. I've testified now twice in the U.S. Senate under oath, multiple uh, state senates. My opinion has been relied upon because I've been true to the data and I've cited the data. So, um, you know, I've had uh, hundreds and hundreds of interviews. Probably one of my most explosive interviews was the full hour program with Tucker Carlson on Tucker Carlson Today, where I went over the information very carefully and I cited the data. With Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan had reached out to me and, you know, I spent a month preparing. I had curated continuing medical education approved slides. They had presented them at the AAPS meeting. Uh, they were scientifically true. Uh, they were free of conflict of interest, free of opinion. And when I presented, I brought my laptop in in Joe's man cave. We spent three hours. We went over the data, the peer reviewed data together. I cited the data very carefully. Uh, when Joe asked about things that was beyond the range of the data, for instance, he asked about um, pandemic planning and who was involved uh, with um, uh, the various vaccine stakeholders and et cetera. I referred him to the book by Peter Bregan, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, and said, listen, I'm not an expert in uh, the planning on the pandemic, but Dr. Bregan is. There's over a thousand citations there. So I was very careful. Joe was perceptive. He was relatively quiet. Uh, he uh, you know, asked good questions. He offered no opinions. I offered no opinions. We simply gave the data. And uh, as you pointed out, there was a, there, this was an explosion after my interview, but there was a lead up. You know, he had brought on uh, Brett Weinstein and Pierre Corey. They went over ivermectin very carefully uh, and all the peer-reviewed supportive data. Over 70 published studies on ivermectin showing its benefit early in COVID-19. Also, its versatility in hospital care. 
then he brought on Sanjay Gupta and reviewed ivermectin. Joe Rogan got COVID-19 himself. He received the McCullough Protocol, uh, which is what I've published for America and for the world. He was communicating with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers also received the McCullough Protocol. Aaron reached out to me, tweeted about it. Uh, so this was all very straightforward. America loved the interview. It had more downloads. I think it, it's, it's surged since that time. And it's interesting because Rogan uh, started to receive um, some backlash. And part of it was through Spotify, Spotify was through other Spotify individuals. But Joe wasn't the sharpest voice in terms of pandemic response on Spotify. Far and away, Robert F. Kennedy was. Robert F. Kennedy, who heads up the uh, Children's Defense Fund, uh, Children's Health Defense, basically uh, is a very sharp critic of the vaccine program. And he, he publishes a widely uh, broadcast and listened to podcast on Spotify. Spotify didn't say a word. So why did Spotify and then Neil Young and Princess Harry and all these people, Jen Psaki of the White House uh, uh, press, why did they all start to congeal when I came out with the data? And then it was followed by uh, Robert Malone, who's not a practicing doctor, so he didn't have the breadth of power. And Robert Malone has about 100 peer-reviewed publications. He's not at 660. Uh, he doesn't have the breadth and scope of data that I do. But he was very tractable. He's one of the inventors of the messenger RNA technology, yeah. contributed greatly to the development. He was very sanguine, very level-headed. Again, no opinion, no hyperbole. And these two interviews basically, as you pointed out, set the world on fire, I think largely because it was searing truth. Well, that's what I thought. I mean, it was, well, first of all, why would a doctor that has your credibility and an and extremely established credibility, well, let's just say what it is, come out and be completely wrong and lie about all of this information? I mean, it just wouldn't happen. So when people hear that, they're number one, if they don't know you, they're going off the credibility. They're going, listen, why is this guy saying this? But then they want to go out and they want to try to find out this information. Now, it, like you said, it's spreading and spreading with Joe. But but it did get very interesting. Like you say, I didn't see them really going after anybody else until, well, it, like you said, it started with Pierre Corey um, uh, and Brett Weinstein first. But then it, it really began to ramp up and people were saying, why is it that they are so attacking? And of course, in the last week or so, it's been it's gotten absolutely insane on why they're doing it. And so the question is, well, if they're that wrong about everything, it'd just go away on its own. There would be no need to put this much attention and this much energy in, into attack campaign to take this guy down. Is that right? Sure. And of course, I cite all the data. <laughs> so there's 200 papers in the peer-reviewed literature on myocarditis. So when I cited the, the data on heart damage with the vaccines, I'm sure some people started to look up these papers and they started to realize, holy cow, we've got a giant safety issue on our hands. When I went over what's called the Bradford Hill criteria for causality and death, and I walked people through that very carefully, all cited in the literature, then people start realizing, oh my Lord, people are actually dying because they've taken the vaccine. And so I think it's really the truth and the presentation of the data that got people going. It wasn't opinion. Rogan didn't express any opinions. Right. I didn't express any opinions. Right. It, wasn't, it wasn't an opinion based. It was no hyperbole. I think it was just the straight factual presentation of the data, slides. And I just 
you know, and I gave the slides to, to Joe's producer. Joe looked at, when he looked at vaccine efficacy, I remember, forget, one of his comments was, well, gosh, that's not a, the vaccines don't do much. That was his conclusion. He was looking at the, at the data. So, you know, Spotify never reached out to me for my slides. Uh, do you know if Spotify has medical doctors? They never did. Uh, you know, ZZ Dog, a, a, a junior doctor who, who doesn't have a publication track record, he doesn't have any academic accomplishments. He never asked for the slides uh, to review them. Other people wrote up commentaries. There are uh, fact-checking organizations that have been fact-checked themselves by Trial Site News. They they quickly uh, 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 track back to uh, various vaccine stakeholders. The fact-checkers themselves cite no data. So, uh, you know, I, I, I will cite some data, uh, you know, demonstrating a particular scientific principle, and the fact-checker will say, well, that's not true. Or they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, the CDC doesn't say that. Well, it turns out the CDC, the NIH, and FDA, because this is a rapidly developing pandemic, as I've told Americans on national TV, they're running about nine months behind in the data. They just are. They're just not contemporary in terms of their review. And not only that, but these organizations are not considered uh, judicial notice, meaning you know, what they say cannot be accepted as fact. And so when people have gone through the CDC's statements on masks back and forth, on uh, vaccine and, and viral transmission back and forth, vaccine safety and efficacy, all of those statements have basically fallen uh, short in terms of being durable or being accurate. And so for those reasons, our agencies really can't be accepted as judicial notice. So because the CDC says something that's, that's irrelevant, uh, the reason why the media is not going to the CDC and they're going to experts like myself and people in my circles is they want independent review. They want review free of conf conflict of interest. Remember the CDC and the FDA are the vaccine program sponsors. They will not be unbiased when it comes to vaccines because they've been told to get a needle in every arm. Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson Johnson, they can't be unbiased. So when Scott Gottlieb, for instance, goes on CNBC, he's not unbiased, he's on the board of Pfizer. He's getting paid by Pfizer. Uh, you know, Stephen Hahn, the former FDA chair, he went to the uh, venture capital firm for Moderna. He's not gonna be unbiased. Rick Bright, who blocked hydroxychloroquine from Americans, he joined the Rockefeller Foundation, which supports the vaccine and eugenics research. The fact checkers that, that uh, trace back to the vaccine stakeholders, they can't be considered unbiased. So who's unbiased? Someone like myself. I have no conflicts of interest. I'm just an academic doctor. I'm taking care of my patients. I'm treating all my high-risk patients. And I'm very skilled at looking at data. I'm an expert on safety data. I've chaired several dozen data safety monitoring boards. None of these fact checkers or CDC staffers or any other individuals making comments have chaired data safety monitoring boards. They haven't had the weight of patient safety in their hands. I have. So let me ask you this question. I have heard, and, and this is just, just uh, hearsay, but I believe that there's some truth to it. All these doctors that say that they would love to come out and say something, but they're scared. They're scared to, to, to talk about what they know. They're scared to say what they believe the truth is. They're afraid to say that there's something nefarious going on with the government. How come you're not afraid? You know, courage, I think, is not uh, a common uh, quality. I think two things. I think there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of intelligent doctors. But it, what we found in the pandemic is there's relatively few who have strong minds. So it's different between being intelligent and having a strong mind. Having a strong mind is the ability to discern uh, to actually see through uh, pieces of information and come up with independent conclusions. And then we found even a rare quality is courage. 
uh, and it's courage to actually independently draw a conclusion in the face of a situation where the majority may actually be just following a narrative. And we've heard the word narrative a lot. That The word narrative means to tell a story. We don't tell stories in medicine. Medicine is an inferential scientific activity. So this idea of following a narrative, uh, it just goes against the grain of science. Yeah, I would imagine so. Currently, what's happening is that there seems to be a division. It's like all of a sudden, there's countries that have just completely dropped the mandates. It's really strange, actually. They One day they were for them, and the next day they're dropping them, and then more dropping them. But then you have people like the United States doubling down on it. You have Canada doubling down. You've got Australia and New Zealand doubling, doubling down on it. What's going on there? Any idea? You know, it's the same virus. It's the same people, the same patterns. You know, largely the virus has made its run with this last Omicron outbreak which broke through natural immunity, it broke through vaccine immunity. The majority of people who developed Omicron, according to the CDC and every other major government, the majority of people who developed Omicron were fully vaccinated individuals, including really? Americans, yeah. The first CDC communication December 10th was pinpoint on this. So I can tell you in a court of law on a more probable not basis, Omicron really was a problem of the fully vaccinated. So what we knew is uh, the virus had made its run uh, it was becoming progressively less lethal. It was more like the common cold uh, because everyone was getting it again. People started realizing, wait a minute, I took a vaccine so I wouldn't get COVID. Now I'm getting COVID. So people started to feel deceived or duped, particularly the vaccinated. And I think that was a big part of it. Remember, large numbers of government uh, agencies and, and boardrooms and other executives, they took the vaccine. They thought it was going to work. And yeah. then when they developed Omicron themselves, then it became known. It's like, wait a minute, I took the vaccine and here I am sick with COVID. Um, I think that was a big part of it. Well, I think another like people were coming out and saying that they were, they felt ashamed because they had done everything right. Why are they getting the, the, vac the virus? They weren't supposed to, they weren't supposed to get it. Yeah. I think it's not so ashamed. It wasn't their fault. They did <laughs> everything right, but they felt deceived. I mean, they were told by the CDC uh, and I remember when the CDC came out and they said, this effectively stops transmission. Our head of the National Allergy Immunology Branch, he says, these stop transmission. You take the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID. President Biden said that. If you take the vaccine, you won't get COVID categorically. And this was picked up by Rachel Maddow and, and all the major media. In fact, I was on Dan Bongino a few days ago and Dan had a little montage of, and I'm so glad, listen, I've been in the media for two years now. And, you know, I'm in 2007, I was on C-SPAN for seven hours. I testified to the Congressional Oversight Panel. I'm not uh, a newcomer to uh, public testimony. I am so glad I didn't make overstatements like that. If anything, I've tended to understate things. So when, when the Delta outbreak uh, happened and the Omicron, I tended to understate how big it was. And I was willing to upgrade my predictions as the data came in. But I've never gone so far out and made these things that are so regrettable. You can imagine how foolish Rachel Maddow feels, how completely foolish. You can imagine how foolish Justin Trudeau feels right now with the, uh, all of Ottawa being shut down. Uh, you know, what's, what's always reasonable is to say fair balance, that everything has risks and benefits. Let's talk about it. Uh, you know, treatment, everything's treatable to some degree. Let's talk about treatment. Uh, you know, th these are reasonable things to do. America sees right through these positions. When people say the vaccines are safe and effective and, and Americans, you know, they've had family members die immediately after the vaccine. They've had family members develop heart damage, blood yes. clots, 
I mean, come on, Americans have seen this. So when they say it's safe and effective, the average Americans is saying, wait a minute, that's not what I see in, in my community. It's not what I see in my family, my friends, my church, my school. I mean, these, these non-fatal and fatal injuries are so common now. The CDC has verified over a million reports of vaccine injuries. A million. You can't hide that. That, that, that's the CDC not, has verified that? The CDC has verified that. That's in the Open VAERS data system. That's the weekly overlay that queries VAERS. They only query the, the, um, the uh, uh, certified <clears throat> uh, permanent VAERS numbers, the ones that they vetted. And so when the CDC says that 21,000 people have died after the vaccine and the CDC, there's a graph and most people die within a few days after the vaccine, that you can't hide that number of people. The open bear system has a FAQ. It says 90% of these are domestic. That is a large number. And when I showed Joe Rogan the analysis from Columbia, from Pantazactos and Seligman, that's on the ResearchGate server, that's the same server the NIH uses. And they estimate using census data and vaccine administration data that the real number of people who died after the vaccine could be as high as 187,000. You know, Joe's eyes got big. Anybody's yeah. eyes would get big. And right. then when the when the actuaries came out, they give a press release and saying that U.S. mortality ages 18 to 49 has shifted upward by 40%. This hit the, the news wires. And they said it's not due to COVID-19 and respiratory illness. And then the same announcement comes out from a, a insurance group in the Netherlands. And you have the, the Columbia analysis. Um, we're just talking about the data now. You can imagine how uncomfortable people are. No wonder there's a, there's a rally in Washington and people want the mandates to be dropped. No wonder they're shutting down Canada. Uh, you know, there's dozens and dozens of large public rallies in major cities in Europe. Uh, they don't want yeah. these vaccines mandated. Pe people are afraid they could die after the vaccine. And on a more probable than not basis, the vaccines, in fact, have caused the deaths. I've gone over that tautology with Joe Rogan. And now they're talking about vaccinating children as early as six months old, and they're trying to get the authorization to do that. And the data shows that these kids at that young of an age, they're really not at risk of anything. And, and the trials failed. They didn't meet the metrics on immunity in that age group. So they tried five micrograms of messenger RNA um, in the uh, below age five <clears throat> group. So yes, parents are very uncomfortable. Your parents are pulling kids out of school, showing up at school board meetings. You've never seen uh, such an agitation in society right now. Uh, you know, I'm going to be tonight on uh, Laura Ingram. I'm a frequent contributor on Fox News. And one of my talking points is, um, you know, and Laura likes to, you know, have some jokes. I, I said, you know, I think the day the mandates are dropped across the United States, I think it'll be a national holiday. I think people just take a week off. And with all this tension coming out of the air, I, I think the vaccines have created more tension and more anxiety and more angst than COVID-19 and respiratory illness. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And we're hearing about the suicides and we're hearing about the, the overdoses and the, the, the alcoholism, it, like it's, it's running rampant. I mean, it's really affecting people's mind and their psychology to be going through this for this long and to consistently have that much fear in their face. Like what you talked about, what Matthias Desmond uh, came up with, the mass formation um, psychosis. And I had a question about that. So if, if that's very accurate, which it seems like it is, like you can see this happening with the way the belief system is, is working um, with people, 
Where is that starting? Like, so there obviously is people that know that this is wrong information and they're putting it out. But then at some level, people are really being like just brainwashed by this idea. And then it takes over the masses. Is that correct? I think so. And I, you know, some believe as Peter Bregan does, uh, Bobby Kennedy and others, they think it was all planned. Uh, and they go back to the really? planning. I, I'm not an expert on this. I, to me, it seems like it happened more organically that this respiratory illness uh, came over. We didn't know what to do with it. Uh, we started responding. Our initial responses were to protect ourselves. And, and then we just got into a cycle where uh, very early on, uh, there was a real reticence to treat the infection by doctors across the board. Do you know to this day, uh, major medical centers like Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, they've still yet to treat their first outpatient. They've actually never treated COVID at home to prevent hospitalization and death. And here we are two years into this. Can you imagine Duke, Emory, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Harvard, literally out of ammo? Like they have nothing to do for this medical problem. They have nothing to offer. You know, those same institutions, they don't have their own individual unique hospital protocol. Do you know across the United States, despite millions and millions of hospitalizations, do you know not a single hospital claims to be a center of excellence for COVID-19? Two years into this, no hospital has any pride or bravado in taking care of COVID-19. These are well-reimbursed admissions. You think hospitals would be recruiting patients, you know, fly your patient here. The Cleveland Clinic's the best or the Mayo Clinic's, you know, they're always the best in cancer. They're the best in heart disease. Suddenly nobody cares to be any good at COVID-19. You you can see how this mass formation uh, really does uh, have some tractability. Well, I've had some personal experience with this. I just got over Omicron myself. It wasn't that wasn't that big a deal. I got a little brain fog going on currently and, and eyesight blurriness. But prior to that, my daughter had Delta and she's about 23 years old. She had scarring on her lugs because she had pneumonia nine times when she was a kid. And I, I gave her the protocol that, that you put out. And I said, this is what you have to do. So she's in Maryland. And when she went to the doctor, the doctor said, I want to give you ivermectin, but the pharmacies won't fill it. Right. So we had to figure out how do we get her ivermectin? And then the idea was, can we get her monoclonal antibodies? And her doctor sent her. She's like, no, you need to do this. And when she got to the hospital, the hospital told her as soon as they found out she wasn't vaccinated, they turned her away. They said, you, you can't you can't come back until you, you have to be admitted. So then she had to go to some outside source. We found an outside source for her to get the monoclonal. And then she was better like in a few days after that. But they literally sent her away from the hospital because they said that she wasn't sick enough for to be admitted. And her oxygen level, I think, was at like 94 at that point. You know, that story is basically the story of tens of millions of Americans and you can't make it up. You know, you and I didn't talk about this before we came on the air. Right. You can't make this up. You see the malpractice going on, these breaches in standard of care. She should have been treated promptly and expeditiously by her primary doctor, who should have prescribed her these oral drugs. The pharmacy, uh, the pharmacies that refused to fill the drugs, they committed malpractice. They committed a crime. They should have filled the drugs. When she got referred for a monoclonal antibody, she should have promptly gotten a high-quality monoclonal antibody. I've relied on these drugs in my clinical practice for two years now. No one should be denied care. 
And I can tell you, this all came out in the January 24th U.S. Senate panel led by Senator Ron Johnson. It was called COVID-19, a second opinion. We had dozens of practicing expert doctors like myself. We had dozens of PhD research scientists, nurses, patients, and lawyers, and five hours of continuous testimony. And the jaw-dropping moments, I tell you, there's a 38-minute condensed highlight reel I can send you afterwards. You ought to go over it. The jaw-dropping moments, David, are amazing. I asked uh, Dr. Christina uh, Parks from Michigan, uh, citing the data that African-Americans and Hispanics have double the mortality rate of Caucasians with COVID-19. And I asked her, I said, Dr. Parks, are African-Americans being denied early treatment? She looked me deadpan in the, in the, uh, across the room and said, Dr. McCullough, and she's black. She says, Dr. McCullough, my dad just died of COVID-19 three days ago. And I can tell you, he was denied monoclonal antibodies and he was denied early treatment, just like your daughter. So I have to ask you, David, who's given the straight story? Is it me or is it ZZ Dog? Or is it the HealthWise right. fact checkers? Who's giving the real boots on the ground straight story? America knows I am, and it's clear as day. And, and I've also said, you know, Joe Rogan reached out to me. What about this person? And I said, Joe, think about this person. Are they U.S. Senate material? I've already testified to the U.S. Senate pinpoint, citing the data. I co-moderated uh, the five-hour panel. I've already testified in multiple state houses. Bring forward somebody who's at least qualified to testify in the U.S. Senate. No one will come forward. So the, 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 the gentleman that you, that you mentioned, I forget what his name is, you said that they think it's planned. And it was Robert Kennedy also, which I read his book. And it, that book is terrifying when you read that book. When you get in there and you see what has been going on all the way back to the AIDS virus and the shenanigans that were going on around that and the possibility that almost 100,000 people may have died from AZT and like all of that craziness. So they think that this is planned. For what purpose? I mean, is it strictly just just uh, uh, finances for pharma companies or is there something else behind this? What do they think? It, it, it's funny you asked me the question. And, you know, when, when, uh, when I was with Tucker Carlson and then Joe Rogan, I thought about this actually driving back from my Joe Rogan interview. Um, think about the naivety of that question. You know, only Peter McCullough knows Who's behind it and what right, do they gain? Right. You know, of course I don't know. Um, uh, most of these books just lay out the facts. So if you want to see that when I went over with Joe Rogan, the John Hopkins seminar that planned for the pandemic in 2017, they called it the SPARS pandemic. It was, they said it's going to be a coronavirus. It's related to MERS and SARS. It's going to emanate over here. It's going to come. There's going to be great confusion regarding drugs, like a drug, hydroxychloroquine. And they're going to use mass media, social media to railroad people into mass vaccination as what they perceive the best solution. That was in the Johns Hopkins planning document. If you want to see all the patents of Pfizer and Moderna on the spike protein being developed in the lab in Wuhan, China, go to the book on Peter Bregan, the material transfer agreement. I mean, it does explain how the vaccines came forward so quickly because so many things were in place from a long time ago. So it's all in the books. I, I don't claim to be an expert. I've been focusing on the next patient right in front of me. Once I get off this call, I got to call patients. More people are in distress like your daughter. But others are experts. People should read these books. 
Is this the reason why so many countries all behaved in the same way and that and they're sticking to this narrative, even though the evidence is beginning to come out against it? Like this is, I mean, this is almost bizarre than what's happened in the last two years is here's this evidence that it's leaking out from different places, from you, from other people, and the public is starting to see it and they're still locking people down. They're still tracking people with phone apps in Australia. I was I was watching a senator that was talking to Brett Weinstein yesterday, talking about how these people are being tracked. And if they go to a store and they're there too long, the police actually are sent out to find them, to, to make them go back home. And when they're asked the questions about why they're doing this, the answer is always the same, because we need to get everybody vaccinated. That's the only way out of this situation. You know, the vaccines don't stop the virus. There's a publication in JAMA by Ocorsi and colleagues just appeared in the last few weeks looking at Delta and Omicron. One, two, three, or, or three va- vaccination shots. No difference in terms of the viral concentration in the nasal cavity when evaluated. The vaccines have no impact on stopping the virus at this stage. We have a paper by Young Zhu during the Delta outbreak they calculate even from observational data, which overstates vaccine efficacy, they had vaccine efficacy at 20% with Delta. Now with Omicron, almost all experts uh, indicate that there's zero effectiveness. There's a few analyses that are contrived that uh, in the United States suggest that uh, vaccines protect against hospitalization, but it, it doesn't reconcile with what we see in the UK, Europe, and, and South Africa. And it's the same virus, same sets of vaccines there. So. I don't think the U.S. hospitalization data are are uh, trustable for a couple of reasons. Is one, they're not adjudicated for why they're there, uh, and even our CDC director and public health directors have come out and said forty to sixty percent of these quote positive cases, you know, don't have any COVID. The respiratory list are being tested for other reasons. Uh, the second thing is um, uh, that uh, there's asymmetric testing. The unvaccinated get a lot of testing per CDC guidelines, where the vaccinated don't. So we generate. Uh, more of these positive tests in the unvaccinated. And then the third thing is very important, it's not randomized. And so uh, we know in the randomized trial data with Pfizer, they have the biggest randomized trial data set that hospitalizations were not reduced and mortality was not reduced. In fact, mortality was higher with the Pfizer vaccine than the placebo. So when we put this all together, we can't expect the vaccines are only strictly indicated to reduce the binary incidence of COVID-19 respiratory illness at home. They're not indicated to reduce hospitalization. They're not in- indicated to reduce mortality. And these are overstatements. Experts have come on, well, they're, they're dramatically keeping the hospitalizations down. They're overstatements. They're overstatements. And is it true that the vaccines that we, that we currently have were never designed for Omicron to begin with? They were designed for the original COVID virus, and we don't actually have one that's, that's currently ready for, for Omicron or anything else that comes from that pathogen, right? Yeah, that's true. The vaccines are obsolete because they're coded for the original Wuhan spike protein, which is now uh, extinct. Uh, and we're on to the Omicron variant, which is highly mutated. It's very different than the Wuhan spike protein. And the data suggests the vaccines simply just don't cover Omicron. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a vaccine that's out of date. Uh, and that's another reason why people don't want to take it. They they know the vaccines, and even the World Health Organization has a statement saying, "Listen, that looks like the boosters, uh, you know, aren't going to work. Uh, that they they may actually weaken the immune system. They they've dropped their support for boosters. So you know, so the next employer that says, "Boy, you have to take a booster," I just fielded a call from a dentist 
uh, who works at a, at a dental school saying, well, my employer says I have to take a booster. You'd say, well, based on what? Uh, there isn't any regulatory support for it. There's no scientific support. There's no randomized trials. Even the vaccine manufacturers agree. And they claim to be making a Omicron-specific vaccine. Well, if they're making an Omicron-specific vaccine, they basically de facto have said the existing vaccines are obsolete. Right. And by the time they get it ready, everybody's had Omicron anyway, right? Right. Which is the next question. If you've had that, are, are you immune to the older COVID virus like Delta? Does that make you immune to that? There is a paper by Khan and colleagues from uh, Africa that showed that, uh, indeed, if you get Omicron, you certainly have immunity against Omicron, and we assume the subvariant, the BA2 subvariant, but also you get back immunity against Delta, which is important. I think Delta, I treated a ton of Delta patients. It was a very hard and long outbreak. It affected younger people. It was a longer illness, I think, than the wild type and alpha. I think Delta was very hard. Um, yeah. I lost I lost patients to Delta. I'm telling you, as a treating doctor, I respect it greatly as an illness. Omicron's been a breeze. Uh, it replicates 70 times faster than Delta. It largely stays in the nasal nasal cavity. So our featured treatment is actually nasal washes with virucidal uh, solutions, such as 10% povidone iodine diluted to less than 1% or 3% hydrogen peroxide diluted to uh, less than 1%. Uh, and and so these are simple treatments, we uh, literally squirt it up the nose over the sink, sniff it back and spit it out, do it twice on both sides, gargle with it. And the virus is essentially killed in the nasopharynx. It drops the viral load, fever goes away in a few hours, patients feel better. Uh, this has been a huge breakthrough supported by high quality randomized trials. Again, we always go back to randomized trials, we need them. You know, we don't have vaccine randomized trials showing hospitalizations are dropped by 85% or 75%. Uh, we have that for the nasal washes. We have randomized trials for the monoclonal antibodies your daughter received. Do you know with Sochirivimab, which is a terrific product, GSK product, EUA approved, 85% reductions in hospitalizations and deaths with Sochirivimab. Wow. We should be featuring this in all our high-risk seniors. Now we have good news. We have Pfizer. We have Paxlovid. That's a combination of nelfenpiravir and ritonavir, three tablets in the morning, three tablets in the evening, five days, 80, over 80% reductions in hospitalizations and deaths. So, you know, Americans know that there's high quality treatment. The issue is getting their doctors to prescribe it. And I've even had panic calls where they say, listen, Dr. McCullough, I've got COVID-19. I want the new Pfizer drug. I said, well, call your doctor. He won't prescribe it. So we've really, really got to get our doctors uh, going. And I think part of the problem is our agencies have never given a full-throated endorsement for early treatment, even with the newer drugs. You don't see them advertised on TV. You don't see our head of the National Allergy Immunology Branch or CDC Director or Infectious Disease Side of America. You don't see anybody coming out and saying, listen, demand the new Pfizer drug, demand the new Merck drug, demand the GSK monoclonal antibodies. The only thing you see morning, noon, and night is the motion of the vaccines. Well, I have a, I have a person that works with me and uh, their whole family, their whole family got it. Their daughter had it really bad and she was scheduled to go get monoclonal. And the day before she was supposed to call, she was talking to the doctor and the doctor said, I can't give it to her because Biden raised the age of minimum of 65. You have to be 65 years or older in order in order to get it. Now, thank God she was she was OK. She 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 got through it. But it was it was heartbreaking to hear that somebody's life could be on the line because somebody does not want to give out a medicine that has the ability to save so many lives for whatever the reason is. I'm not going to pretend to know what the reason is, but it, it is just, it's terrifying to think that anybody would do that. 
But I can tell you those entities <laughs> that are denying early treatment are the same entities that would promote the vaccine or are promoting the vaccine. I guarantee it. Every time. Every time. And I've gone over this with Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, Alex Jones, uh, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity. We keep going on and on. It's clear. Those who are denying early treatment are doing so hand in hand with promoting the vaccine. The question is, why? Why are they promoting this degree of suffering? The vaccine isn't treatment. The vaccines don't even work. And the vaccines are associated with record amounts of deaths and injuries. So why are they promoting something that doesn't work, that's not sufficiently safe, when at the same time they have something in their hand that's gold? The monoclonal antibodies are gold. Uh, The flu Pfizer Merck drugs are gold. Hydroxychloroquine was pretty good. Ivermectin better, but we've got new tools. So we did the best we could early on. I'm willing to move on as there's newer and better drugs. Where do you think we are with the Omicron? Now, there's a lot of talk about, you know, this is it. That'll be, the, that'll be the end of COVID. It'll be reduced to a flu after this, and we don't have to worry about it. Is there any truth to that at all, or is it not known? I thought about it as I attended the disastrous Dallas Cowboys uh, 49ers game. <laughs> and, you know, we had a, you know 90,000 people in a packed stadium. The roof was closed. Uh, nobody's wearing masks. Everybody, you know, all over the place. And I was thinking to myself, we're in the highest outbreak that we've seen so far. The Omicron outbreak was four to five times higher than Delta. You know, it made 2021 look like a joke. Omicron, basically everybody was getting it. And the bottom line is it was like a common cold. People got through it at home. Uh, There weren't any, if you notice, there weren't any Omicron outbreak events. It's not like the Dallas Cowboys game and suddenly it was declared on. There haven't been any airplanes where someone said, oh, an American Airlines flight, there was an Omicron event. I think wisely, and I went on nationally TV and said this, I thought it was wise to keep the schools closed for a week or two till people got through it, just be easier to conduct school. But once the kids got back to school, no outbreaks, no outbreaks, no credible uh, student to teacher spread, Uh, you know, people back in the workplace. So it was interesting, you know, the UK just dropped all their mandates as they came off the back end of the Omicron curve. We're already back off the end of our Omicron curve. We're already back down. My phone's a lot more quiet now, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm here in Colorado right now on a ski vacation. People are skiing and in restaurants everywhere. No one's wearing masks. People are comfortable. So I think I think America and the world is ready to get back to normal. The emergency phase of this is over with. If there's a few high-risk people who get sick, we've got good t- tools to treat them. America is resonating with my analysis, which is fair, it's evidence-based, and it's balanced. And you can see how these fact-checkers and detractors are just languishing at this point in time. And like we were talking about, everything that you've stated, you can find that information. It's all it's all out there. It's not that difficult to find. You may not get it on your first look up on Google because Google has a tendency to send you in a different direction, but there's other ways of, of looking it up. So a good place to go that's just, just an absolute compendium of data is the Brownstone Institute. Brownstone okay. Institute, many of us have contributed their uh, wonderful compilation of papers. People say, well, where's all the papers on natural immunity? I said, there's 150, and they're all, you know, organized in the Brownstone Institute. Where are the papers showing that masks don't work? I said, well, there's 12 randomized trials. They're all there if you want to take a look at them. You know, where's all the papers on myocarditis? Well, there's hundreds of them. Here they are. Um, but people need to do their own fact-checking. A good place to fact-check is in the PubMed, the National Library of Medicine. Type in vaccine adverse event reporting system. You see over 40 papers from VAERS. 
That's the safety database. We've never seen 40 papers come out of VAERS. You know there's a safety problem with the COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, yeah. it's, a real, it's a real problem. I mean, the safety data is absolutely pouring in. Uh, and doctors are fielding these horrific events, death, heart injury, stroke, blood clots, uh, immunologic problems, vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic peria. You know, in the medical literature, we have brand new diseases. We have brand new diseases due to the COVID-19 vaccines. The vaccines are all genetic. You see, they're gene transfer technology platforms. They're loaded on lipid nanoparticles. We've never had vaccines like this. They get distributed throughout the body. They go into the brain. We've never had a vaccine that goes into the brain and then deposits genetic material and start producing a dangerous spike protein right in the brain. It happens in the heart, the bone marrow. We've never had this before. It's brand new. In, in all the papers that have come out on this, people just start to get, they start to get nauseated. They said, really? That's what's going on in my body? A vaccine went to my brain? I said, well, here are the autopsy studies. They were done in, uh, from the Viennese and from uh, the Germans. And, you know, signs of the, the vaccine being in the brain are there. That's amazing. So where do, where do we go from here as a, as a society with this? Is it just that we have to wake up to what's really going on and, and take the power back for ourselves and make better decisions moving forward? Because it doesn't look like these governments are going to let go of it. At least not anytime soon. Some have, but the other ones seem to be doubling yeah, down on it. Listen, people have to make their own choices. And yeah. uh, if, if everybody tomorrow said, listen, we're not taking the vaccine. So it would be like, listen, we're not going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. We're not doing it. Then the whole vaccine program would crumble. It just would crumble. Uh, if people said tomorrow, listen, we're not going to wear masks. We're just not going to do it. The whole thing would crumble. And, and I think you're going to start to see this. You know, in California, there's there's mass numbers of students who are just walking into schools yeah. together without masks. Yeah. Um, uh, th there are people who are just, just not going to take the vaccines period. And yeah. they're going to, they're going to show up to work and say, sorry, you know, I'm not taking the vaccines. And uh, you know, there's a huge base of self-employment in the United States and self-employed people saying, well, someone taking the vaccines, you know, four out of the five Biden mandates were defeated in the Supreme court. The only thing that stuck was the CMS uh, mandates, and that was, was called strings attached, meaning that the CMS pays money to hospitals and CMS providers. So they said, as a string attached, we can ask your healthcare workers to take the vaccine. Healthcare workers don't want the vaccine, and the labor market is so constrained right now that uh, you know healthcare workers walking out the job is is catastrophic. So we even had a few California health systems came out of the newswires where the California health systems. Uh, even patients with with uh, uh, workers with Omicron, they said, "Listen, just come back to work anyway, because you know we we need workers." They said, "Well, right. I'm sick with Omicron." They said, "Well, just come back anyway." So I think there's capitulation at this point in time. The smartest thing to do would be like what Starbucks did and GE is just drop all the mandates and say, "Listen, go back to normal." Like the city of Denver dropping all the mandates, or like the states like Texas and Florida. We, we never had them to begin with, and we didn't need them. And it, it is true that if you've had it, right, and you've got the you've got the T cells, you've got the antibodies, um, that there's no need for a vaccine, even if it even if the vaccine did work well, because your own natural immunity is better. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. So the, the Omicron infection gave full exposure to, you know, there's a paper by Hakeem and colleagues showing early on in the pandemic that you get at least a library of 15 different proteins that generate antibodies and maybe more than two dozen known proteins. Uh, and then you get the full T cell immunity against the nuclear capsid and spike protein. You don't get any of that with the vaccines. Vaccines are very narrow against the extinct Wuhan spike protein period. So you get a narrow library of antibodies against one protein. 
So it is true. The natural immunity is, is broad. It's robust. Uh, now, it's been broken through by Omicron. But remember, people who are naturally immune, they're free of the risks of hospitalization and death and ending on the ventilator. People don't go on the ventilator over and over again. You know, people didn't go on the ventilator in 2020, then get a new strain and go on the ventilator in 2021. It didn't happen. So uh, you know, the natural immunity is the checkbox. And if employers were worried about a safe workplace or not, they should have a checkbox saying who had COVID. If the military really cared about COVID, they would have a checkbox. So would the NFL and so would the NBA and the sports teams, right? That's how you decide your Delta nurses. Force. And the, and the nurses. Workers. Right. That's how you decide your Delta Force. You know, there's a paper by Keener and colleagues in the New England Journal of Medicine, University of California at San Diego, during the Delta outbreak, more fully vaccinated healthcare workers at UC San Diego had COVID-19 and they're fully vaccinated compared to the unvaccinated. And the reason why the unvaccinated are doing better is because more people are naturally immune. And so many unvaccinated said, listen, I already had the virus. I'm not taking the vaccine. So the unvaccinated are the winners in the UK, in uh, Germany, uh, Europe, uh, South Africa, Israel, for instance, the unvaccinated yeah. are the winners. And I think it's mainly because of the, the overlay of natural immunity. So. I was really glad to see some of those countries let go of the mandates because I think it's going to make it easier for other countries to drop them. It's going to be really hard to to keep everybody completely locked down and checking their every move when you've got other countries that are going, we're not having a problem with this. And the hospitals are not, you know, spilling out with people and they're dying in the streets. So but right. we, have to, we have to be, we have to be wary of, 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 of hospital reports where the data are not, vetted or curated. I, I think almost nothing is trustable in the United States right now. Uh, you know, many hospitals, when patients are admitted, they're put into isolation. Uh, people don't go in and examine them. Uh, I think there's probably an assumption that they're unvaccinated if for somehow they can, you know, uh, produce a vaccine uh, card and they'd have to get somebody on FaceTime and try to show it to them. I, I think this idea of, oh, it's, uh, you, you know, there, there was a report in Dallas recently in D Magazine where they said 95% in, of patients in Parkland Memorial Hospital were un, were unvaccinated. I, I asked myself, well, you know, how did they actually check? And no, 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 uh, no explanation. So I don't think it's trustable. Very good. All right, I think we should just leave it there. Thank you very much for coming on. I, the, you know, I think what the, my goal was. Let's give these people a place to go look so they can do the research themselves and get out of the confusion about who's right and who's wrong. It's obvious if the data is there and the data is there. So thank you very much, doctor. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff. <laughs>